You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to preview some of Week 4's top games with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast catching up with CBS and Westwood One broadcaster, Ian Eagle. Ian, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to join us again on the NFL on TuneIn. Let's start with the Bears, who beat the Steelers last week, almost took care of the Falcons in Week 1. What's enabled Chicago to play fairly well to start the year coming off a three-win season? Yeah, guys, uh, improvement, definitely the running game. That that stands out. You watch the tape. This team is confident running the football. They've got a one-two punch right now that they feel good about with Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. Throwing the football has been a problem, and I think it will continue to be a problem, not just with Mike Glennon, but the core of wide receivers they have just doesn't quite measure up to most of the teams around the NFL. And defensively, they're competitive. That's one thing they've shown through the first three weeks, including last week against Pittsburgh. They stopped the run well. Uh, I think they're beginning to form in the mold of a John Fox-type team. It's taken a few years to get there, but now you're starting to see signs of the identity that, that he visualized when he took over. When you look at this team with Mike Glennon as a quarterback, the Chicago Bears, uh, they easily right now, let's just say they could be 2-1. and one. I know the hype of Mitchell Trubisky may have startled a, a few people, even Mike Glennon. Uh, but they actually had the op- have they had the opportunity to be two and one. You think of the first game of the season uh, against the Atlanta Falcons. There were two touchdowns in the end zone uh, that were dropped, and here it is. Of course, they lost to Tampa because I think Tampa had Mike Glennon's number because they know who he was from top to bottom. And then we saw them play the Steelers. This team is probably, I would say, one of the few that is truly better than their record. And I'm coming from a place of the physicality they possessed this last weekend playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you see them getting any better and being able to compete a little bit better than we may think they can in the NFC North? Yeah, Cordell, I think you make a good point. They're a team that not a lot of people were paying attention to when the season started. They haven't won back-to-back games since November of 2015. So when you're trying to figure out who you are and trying to learn how to win. That's been part of what, what John Fox has done there. There's a reason why they paid Mike Glennon all this money. They were searching. Now, the, the curious part was then moving up, taking Mitchell Trubisky and assigning him the, the future quarterback, future leader status. We knew there would be a little bit of drama, and the fact that Glennon has struggled a bit. You're right. Uh, his receivers didn't help him in week one. But just watching the tape from last week, he was tentative at times. They're not throwing the ball downfield. I, I think they're going conservative because that, that's the way they believe they can win games right now because that running game is, is legit. But if you're just looking at what they are and what they have coming up, they have a chance to make a statement here. In Green Bay, Green Bay is banged up. They are severely injured. Uh, they've got uh, Minnesota coming up. They've got Baltimore coming up. They're going to be opportunities to open some eyes around the NFL for this team. And to your point, I think they were just an afterthought before the year started. Maybe some opinions are beginning to change. 
taking you around the league with Ian Eagle of Westwood One Sports and the NFL on CBS. Ian, you'll be in the booth in Baltimore on Sunday. Joe Flacco, as you know, 28 passing yards Sunday in that debacle of a loss in London. He's merely one game over 500 as a starter since winning the Super Bowl in New Orleans. Where do you think Flacco is at this stage of his career? Well, I, I think he's not 100%. That, that's what stands out when reviewing the film from last week, uh, the back injury that he was dealing with in the preseason. They don't really have a backup plan. I don't think they trust Ryan Mallett to, to step in and, and run the team, and that's why Flacco's been in there. He's been very durable throughout his career. Uh, we know he got paid the big contract after the Super Bowl. Uh, Joe is what he is. Uh, he, he's never going to be considered one of the the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a winning quarterback in this league. Uh, Flacco, I would hope that they could get back to some downfield uh, mentality that worked for him. He was at his best really with Gary Kubiak running the offense. And I think the dynamic between Kubiak and Flacco, somebody he respected, somebody he listened to, someone he responded to, as Cordell could speak to a lot better than I can, that's such an underrated part of the equation when you've got the right coaches in place and everything clicks. I just don't think it's clicking right now with Marty Morningwig and Joe Flacco. And I think there there could be a ticking time bomb here. If this doesn't get better quickly, you could see some changes in the next few weeks. And Baltimore has done that before. Uh, John Harbaugh is not shy about making changes if they need to be made. Yeah, I agree with that. And and, and it didn't just start this year. It was last year because yep. Steve Bashotti, remember, mentioned that he needs better play at the quarterback position. And, of course, he's talking directly to Joe Flacco, and it's the continuation, I think, of poor play. But speaking of poor play, the New York Giants. I mean, where do they go from here? They're 0-3. They can't get any, anything done correctly, whether it's the defense trying to make stops but can't score touchdowns for the offense. The offense is, is enabled across the board to do anything, right, starting with the running game, the offensive line of protecting the quarterback, and being consistent at the wide receiver position when everyone thought that receiving core with Brandon Marshall being added to the equation would be a much, a much better and maybe the best uh, three-receiving core uh, yep. in the National Football League. Where did it go from here? I would say right now they're the biggest disappointment in the NFL. Uh, considering the expectation level, I live in the New York area, so I hear it every day. Uh, this is not what Giant fans visualized. This is not what Ben McAdoo visualized. This is not what Giants ownership visualized. They thought this team could legitimately compete within the NFC. Uh, the problem that stands out, offensive line play has been horrid, protecting Eli Manning. Eli's not a spring chicken. He wasn't the most mobile guy even early in his career, but uh, he could get out of trouble. He, he would be Houdini-like at times. Now uh, you're asking for trouble if you can't protect him on that left side, which has been a big, big problem. Second, the wide receiving core you mentioned, Cordell, take it a step further with their running game, which is basically non-existent. I think the Giants did take a risk in believing that they had the players on their roster that could run the football and Paul Perkins and Shane Vereen and Orleans Darkwa, right now they're not getting it done. Uh, there have been years you played in the NFL where everything just seemed to work. You, you led this charm life of uh, everything you guys did would, would find a way to victory. 
it's the exact opposite for the Giants. And sometimes that happens in the league where it's just not the right mix. It's, it's going to have to happen soon. If it doesn't happen this week, I know McAdoo uh, yesterday came out and said uh, that things are going to change and they have to change. And I, I think, unfortunately for him, he doesn't have uh, the Tom Coughlin-like experience to lean on in these kind of situations when uh, you're starting to lose the player's interest and uh, engagement level. Uh, this, this better get better quickly or... Uh, there are going to be bigger changes on the horizon for this franchise. Nor does he have the Super Bowl rings. Ian Eagle, our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, you've been the TV voice of the Nets for many years. What do you make of the social activism becoming far more pronounced now in our league, which has been a major component of the NBA yep. for many years? Yeah, Brian, I, I think uh, the the whole intersection of, of sports and, and social issues has always been there. It's just never been at this fevered pitch because rarely do we have the president of the United States to weigh in on these issues first and foremost and make them front page news. We've had presidents that have had sitting presidents that have had opinions, but normally they were handled with a careful tone because of the way in which Donald Trump, our president, came out and made his statements. I think it set off this chain reaction, and I can understand it. Uh, athletes are very proud. They've worked very hard to get to where they are. Only a select few get to be uh, on this stage at this level and the recognition that they can affect social change. Uh, we're in a new world now, and uh, because of that, I I don't see anything changing, and I don't have a problem with it, to be perfectly honest with you. My job is to report. My job is to be the conduit from the event to the viewer or the listener, and I'm not going to change that. My job isn't to put opinion and to spin. Uh, my job is simply to uh, give viewers and listeners uh, a flavor of what's happening at the game, at the venue. Uh, if this continues to happen week in and week out, I will continue to report it until it's no longer uh, news and until it's no longer part of the narrative. And as we wrap it up, I spent 12 years at Tennis Channel, so I know you're a skilled tennis broadcaster. Long <laughs> afternoons at Roland Garros on the red clay. Given everything you've called, your diverse resume, what's the one sport you'd like to try you've not done professionally? Oh, Brian, that's, that's a great question. I had a I had a chance to do some Met games a number of years ago. I grew up a huge Mets fan in Queens, about seven minutes from Shea Stadium. And it was the only time my wife in all our years, we've married 24 years, when I approached her and said, hey, I've got this opportunity to call about 25 Mets games. She said, are you crazy? <laughs> are you nuts? You're, you're not going to do that, right? And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, I get like three weeks off in the summer. I'm going to. I'm going to spend the three weeks and uh, have an adult beverage and uh, sit by a pool. So I would say baseball would be uh, the only thing that, that I haven't done that at some point, if, if the opportunity presents itself again, I, I may jump on it. I'm sure you'll get around yep. to that. Next time we have you on the show, I'll tell you my story of doing arm wrestling for Fox Sports Net with Larry Minetti <laughs> from Magnum P.I. That's how good my resume is, Ian. No, no, that, that's now what I want to do next. If, <laughs> if I can do arm wrestling with Tom Selleck, then you and I could have this conversation. Thank you, Ian. Have a great a, call let's tomorrow. Just get Brian, let's just get Brian a game show host. We'll work job, on that, okay? too. <laughs>
Get you to them the- now. Legend. Exactly. Thank you, and have a great call tomorrow. All right, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week 1 to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. It's a touchdown! Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's go round the league with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Josh, as always, we appreciate the time. Let's start with the spirit of unity and solidarity we saw around the NFL this weekend. Do you think that's going to have any impact on Colin Kaepernick and his ability to find a job? No, not at this point. I, I don't. I, I think that, if anything, the the insertion of, of President Trump into this has has pushed it even farther away from from Colin Kaepernick, and and it's created all of these new issues and questions. And I, I mean, really, it feels like Kaepernick's name comes up now um, in a different way in in terms of the the work he's he's actually done in the community as as being a a i think a roadmap to go forward regardless of what it means for his NFL playing career but for what what I think needs to happen now is a next step that as you mentioned the solidarity and unity and and addressing these things head on by the NFL is, is something that was long overdue and now I think the second part of that is putting it into action so that this becomes much more than than the attempt to make this a, a fight about a, a flag or a song and and a real call for action that that has a lot of positive good on, on communities around the country. Yeah, that's true. And and, and, it, and it seems like to me, it's like Colin Kaepernick comes out and he doesn't make it about something that was said to him, but it's things that's being done to others when it comes to equality and justice, things that are in brutality, um, all those things that. Uh, thing I think are should or should be in a category of being against the norm in a sense of what this country is truly all about. But yet you have the guys who are kneeling, the coaches as well as the owners, are kneeling because they were attacked by comments that were made by the president. How do you gauge, you know, which one has the most, let's just say, purposeful meaning behind it when it comes down to uh, how Colin Kaepernick took his stance as well as the guys in the National Football League from the coaches, players, as well as the owners took their stance based on what the president said in a sense of why they were, uh, what he called them when they said, when he said they were taking a knee when it came down to the national anthem. Well, I, I mean, I think the purposefulness, I, I don't think anyone can touch Colin Kaepernick there. He did it long before he did it, you know, before anybody even noticed he was doing it and, and he was doing it last year at a time where he was, you know, out on an island. And I think if, if you want to throw in some of those other guys from last year, Eric Reed and Kenny Stills and, and others who, who also took those steps, uh, you know, Malcolm Jenkins has been right at the forefront of this. I, I think that's a lot more telling than, than it, the reaction to the, the president. And, and I think certainly in terms of ownership and, and ownership's reaction to it, I think that's where, it can be a little. It can be possible to get a little bit cynical about what we saw last weekend, and and the the actions, the the things that pro- provoked the actions were much more about protecting 
you know, your business interests. But, you know, Colin Kaepernick's the one who doesn't have a job right now. And, and I don't think that, that Jerry Jones and, and Robert Kraft and John Mara are, are really have those kinds of concerns about what's going to happen to their, their teams and their, their business empires. Taking you around the league with Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com. You mentioned giant co-owner John Mara. We know he was not happy, understandably so, with Odell Beckham Jr.'s canine touchdown celebration. But, Josh, does the team bear some responsibility for enabling this kind of nonsensical behavior in the past? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think they, they do. I, I think that, you know, when, when we saw this over the last couple of years, we're you know, the, the, the kicking that stuff and the, the fight with Josh Norman and and some of those sideline meltdowns, it, it was like you, you could predict what the response from Ben McAdoo would be based on uh, what the result of the game was. If they lost, then it was we have to be more emotional and we have to keep things in check. And if they won, it, there was almost a shrug of the shoulders, you know, boys will be boys kind of a thing. And, and so – I think if it were really, you know, really an issue for them, it, it would have been something that had been dealt with head on in, in a in an earlier fashion. And and at the same time, I, I think for you know a team that relies so much on Beckham and and so much of what they they do runs through Beckham, I, I find it curious that you know that, that his behavior is is such a such a big thing. I, I guess, uh, you know, we, we saw what happened with the, the Steelers and Antonio Brown in the playoffs last year. And, and that, that was a, a very head on thing, but, you know, throughout the rest of the season, you, you know, you had a lot of stuff with Antonio Brown with touchdown celebrations and fines for wearing shoes and, and all of these, these kinds of things that fall into a similar realm as, as what we saw from Beckham last week. And, and it just wasn't treated as this, uh, as this assault, I, I feel like this got played up so much because there was there, there was so much more attention this week placed on the you know the behavior of, of NFL players and and the decorum of NFL players for for lack of a better word and and I, I just I, I think it's it's blown a little bit out of proportion um, in, in this particular case. But I, I think if it's if it's something the Giants really wanted to make a statement about it, it was something to do a couple of years ago. That, that Josh Norman game, again, just comes right into mind as, as a guy who who sometimes puts his personal business ahead of the team's business. And speaking of, you know, it sounds like selfishness uh, when you really break it down. Give me just the, the feeling that you get about this this Giants team when, when, when it comes down to executing something we've had an opportunity to see them do for some time. Maybe not get to the playoffs, not to a championship, but executing much better than what we've seen them do. And to see them not be able to do it three weeks in a row, you know, what direction do you see this team going in? I mean, it just gave up, what, $140 bucks in guaranteed money uh, going into this year, second most in the National Football League. Where do you see them go from – where do you see they go from here? Well, you know, I, I think that the, you know, the money they spent on the defense has been money well spent. I, they've gotten returns on that. And, and I just, I think that they, whether it was misguided optimism or just, a, a, you know, an unwillingness to spend that way again this, this offseason, but they, there were clear and obvious problems with the offense, particularly with the offensive line. And, and their reaction to it was to go and get uh, Brandon Marshall, who, you know, is a good run blocker for a receiver, but, but isn't going to make a, a huge difference in pass blocking. And uh, Evan Engram, a tight end who, who doesn't block. So it, it, I, I think that, that, that overlooking that, that flaw was, was 
is, is shaping up to be the thing that keeps them out of the playoffs this year. And I, I don't know where, where you really go from there because you're going to still have to go and do that now this offseason. And, and that's another year of Eli Man, another year of Eli Manning's career. You're going to have to make this decision about, about making a long-term commitment to Odell Beckham and, and where you go offensively from there. You, you can't run the ball. And those defensive, those defensive salaries maybe will get in the way of, of fixing some of the stuff on offense. So if, if you have to go and rebuild from there too, it, it's looking like a longer process for the Giants when I think I and a lot of other people thought they had a real chance to, to contend for big things in the NFC heading into this season. Especially with their head-to-head achievement over the Dallas Cowboys. He is Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber chatting with our friend Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Cordell Cordell loves when I bring up the notion of Andrew Luck, when healthy, has done more with less in Indianapolis. Should we be talking about that mindset in Green Bay? Because think about what is happening up front. Aaron Rodgers missing both starting offensive tackle. Randall Cobb bagged up. I know that Rodgers threw a pick six in what proved to be a comeback win against Cincinnati. But, Josh, if we're just talking about effectively a solo act, isn't it time? And I know he's won an MVP award and he's going to the Hall of Fame, but shouldn't we give Rodgers even more praise? I, I know, you know, I, I think it, it's it's tough to to feel like he's been underpraised because, as you said, he's a, an MVP. He's going to the Hall of Fame, and I think if if you don't think Tom Brady's the best quarterback in the league, you think it's Aaron Rodgers. So I, I think those those things are are really high up there. But I I, I think that it it is some something that really stands out when you look at, at how good he is and, and what the gap may be between him and other quarterbacks. You know, I don't mean to pick on guys like Eli Manning and Carson Palmer and even Ben Roethlisberger at points over their career where they, they've been faced and saddled with these, you know, excuses for why the team hasn't done well. And every single year, Rodgers is in the playoffs. And They've dealt with a ton of injuries. They they didn't have Jordy Nelson, you know. They didn't have, um, they have offensive lineman injuries. It seems like every single week uh, for the last three four seasons, and and they're shuffling guys in there and converting wide receivers to running backs in the middle of the season, and and he just cruises along. And so yeah, I, I think it's impossible to overstate how good he is and how great he's been. But I, I don't know that if there, there's really been a an underselling of Aaron Rodgers going on. Um, but I, I don't think you can oversell him either. No, I mean, everything that he gets, I think it sometimes is right on point, sometimes is off because you feel like he should get more. But then when you think of Tom Brady and what he has, I mean, how often has he played without and still been able to win? So for Aaron Rodgers to play the way he's playing, when they lose, it's just what it is. When they win, I mean, it's just as good. But speaking of teams that's winning, the Kansas City Chiefs, Alex Smith, how much has he turned his, let's just say in the last three weeks, his career around with this notion that he was just a a game manager and a guy that can do the dinking and dunking but couldn't squeeze it between those those small areas, let alone throw those go routes like we've had an opportunity to see him do over the last couple of weeks? I think he's changed it. I, I think he's changed it quite a bit. And I, I think that even more than that, it, it's been a, a real surprising eye opener to see the, the way that the chiefs are attacking offensively. And uh, I, maybe some of that is just that Kareem hunt and Tyreek Hill are, are talents that they have not had uh, in the past. And, and, you know, now you have Tyreek Hill in his second year, obviously, and, and they got a sense of what he could do and, and, you know, Kareem Hunt is just a playmaker of the highest order 
right off the bat in his NFL career and, and what that, that does to change an offense. You know, I, people were saying this, this offseason, you know, how could they get rid of Jeremy Macklin? I mean, would Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy Macklin might not even be in, in their, their top three receivers if he were still on the team. So it, it's, it, it was really like, like just a great job of, of personnel work to, to bring in these kinds of players that have, have changed the offense and, and a great job of recognizing what these players were and playing to their strengths and, and getting away from that, that dinking and dunking. Now, you know, it's a long season and, and we'll see what happens against some of the better defenses that they'll face as the year goes on. But I, I don't know what, what this will mean for, for Smith and Kansas City. I think it's hard when you have a first-rounder sitting on the bench. But, gosh, I, he's going to be heading into free agency on, on a pretty big high if things play out this way for the rest of the year. And, and I think it, it will certainly change the outlook of what teams think they can do with Alex Smith if they want to bring him in as their new quarterback. Josh, great information as always, and thanks for putting up with that leading question offered by me. The bottom line when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, I'm trying to get Cordell to leave him alone on this show. I'm not bothering him. I have to be honest. Hey, I'm not I think him. I, Aaron, Aaron will tell everybody, Cordell included, R-E-L-A-X, and just <laughs> yeah. enjoy the show. You know? and take a shot, and take a shot on some scotch. Right? <laughs> a little scotch, too. Thank you, Josh. We'll chat with you soon. All right. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The Passion. 15-10-5-3-2-1. The Fury. Inhaled in the backfield. Sack for the Huskies. The Speed. Here's a home run ball. He's out there. He catches it. The best in college football from coast to coast. Touchdown, Notre Dame. 13-0 Buckeye. To the goal line. Touchdown, Texas. Ball's on the carpet. Georgia says we have it. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan. This is the Nissan College Football Blitz. Listen on Saturdays this fall on College Sports Now on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by Andy Hart from PatriotsRadio.com and Patriots Football Weekly to discuss what's going right and going wrong with the reigning world champs. Andy, thanks for taking the time. Well, you know the stat. The Patriots have given up 95 points in three games, the most to start a year with Bill Belichick as the head coach. Beyond the numbers, how serious are the defensive issues? I think they're pretty serious. I know a lot of Patriots fans are sort of uh, hoping or falling back on that, you know, this defense always gets better and improves over the course of the year. Um, And I I think that's probably true. You know, with the coaching, the veteran leadership, I expect they'll get there. But where is there? Is there competitive middle of the road or is there good enough to win a championship? And, you know, we have to remember this is a team that led the NFL in points a year ago. And maybe this schedule is harder. Maybe the question's going to be better, so that's an unrealistic goal. But the bottom line is you faced a rookie quarterback with a bad offense coming in, and you allowed him to put up 33 points, and you allowed him to throw for 300 yards, and you allowed him to look like a veteran passer. And I think that's where the concern is. Why is the back end of this defense as bad as it is right now when you have three pro bowlers in Devin McCourty, Malcolm Butler, Stephon Gilmore? You have you know, five or six veterans that you think are starting caliber players when you bring in guys like Patrick Chung and Deron Harmon. Why is it so bad right now? And the answer to that is, you know, is the, is the solution. It's, it's Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick figuring it out if it's just communication, um, you know, which has been an issue. Is it technique, which has been an issue on some um, – they've had some bunch formations and some pick routes that were an issue that they've tried to clean up. You know, there's – there's a variety of, of answers to the, to the question, but right now 
Um, it's a surprise with how bad they are. There's no doubt about that. It is a major surprise, and I think it starts in the back end with that veteran secondary. Will Tom Brady be able to continue this this Tom terrific type performance every week considering how bad this defense is and knowing that he and Brandon Cooks have looked like they found a level of chemistry that allows them to be able to perform the way they did in this last game. Can he last throughout the year considering how bad it's been when it comes down to the defensive side of the football? Well, certainly the the question about lasting will be about physicality and, you know, the Texans have a great defensive front. They beat him up a little bit this week. He admitted he was sore and, you know, Mr. TB12 method and drink water and eat avocado doesn't often admit that he's sore. He was sore this week. Um, so that's that's a concern. But obviously you don't face J.J. Watt and Jadevian Clowney, Whitney Merciless every week. Um, in terms of scoring points, yeah, I think they're going to score a ton of points. I think this is what they are. They're a pass-first offense, which they've always been, but they're a pass-first offense that has big play guys. I mean, you got Brandon Cooks averaging over 25 yards a catch through three games. Only has 10 catches, but... He's making plays, and he's making plays for other people. You know, Chris Hogan found himself wide open, in part because the defense was focused on Brandon Cooks, and Hogan ends up with a 47-yard touchdown crossing the field. You have Rob Gronkowski looking like Gronk. I mean, he gave everybody a scare in New Orleans with the groin injury, but two weeks in a row, you look up, and he's making plays with the game on the line. He's kicking guys off of him. You know, they're throwing. He's one-on-one in the end zone, touchdown every week, almost regardless of who, who covers him. Um, you know, they, they kickstart the drive to win the game, and who is it? Gronk. You know, two straight catches. I think it was second and 18 or something like that. After a penalty, they go to Gronk twice in a row, move the sticks, get things going. So, yeah, I think they have the passing game and the weapons, if they stay healthy, to put up a ton of points, and that's what it's going to be. This is, this is old-school Peyton Manning where, yeah, your defense ranks at the bottom of the league in points allowed, ranks in the bottom of the league in, in yards allowed. When you touch the ball, you better be moving it and scoring points because the other team's going to be doing that often, too. There's a lot of pressure there, but certainly Tom Brady can handle the pressure and he has the weapons to get the job done, I think. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber chatting with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio, Patriots Football Weekly. Andy Cordell and I just went through our power rankings in the last hour. It's not only good radio, it's the law. Where would you (laughs) slot the Patriots among the best teams in the league after three games? You know, I I think they have to be a top five team. Um, you know, they you look at what they've done. Do they have holes? Sure. Do they have weaknesses? Sure. You know, did they lose a game at home? Sure. But they were leading that game in, after the third quarter. You know, they had a bad fourth quarter. It fell apart. Um, their defense has questions, but they still have an elite offense. And I still think they have more talent on defense than they've shown so far. You know, not just that back end, but you're going to get Dante Hightower back. You're going to play better up front. Allen Branch hasn't played all that well. Um, so, you know, when I look across the league, Kansas City, do they deserve to be number one? Maybe. Um, do I think they're going to be there at the end of the year? Do I think they're a great team that can continue to lean on a rookie running back to, you know, put up 200 yards a week, essentially, of, of total offense? No. Do I believe in Alex Smith and Andy Reid? No. Um, Atlanta deserves to be there, in my opinion, in that mix coming off a of Super Bowl. But they should have lost in Chicago. You know, if Chicago catches the ball at the goal line, the Falcons have a loss on their record in Chicago, and that's not a great loss to have. Um, certainly the, the Raiders did not look good this week. Um, so there are teams that, you know, the Packers were, were scared to death of Andy Dalton and the Bengals at home, much like the Patriots were with Houston. So um, I think there's a bunch of, you know, four or five teams that are the four or five best teams in football that are all flawed, 
and are, are, are all sort of holding their breath early in the year to put together wins to put themselves in position to play better later in the year and put themselves in position to, to go to the playoffs on a roll. So if I put the Patriots in here, I'd probably say number three. Good job, man. That's why I had him. So you, you must have saw my notes or whatever. But good job because, I mean, they, everything that, that they've been able to do or let's just say not be able to do, they counteracted with something special by being able to have a few seconds or minutes on the clock to be able to finish strong. But what does Bill Belichick have under his sleeve to try to get these these issues corrected so that teams don't continue to score in this defense or offensively even though they – they found a way to get it done by using other players. But if they end up losing someone else, will he have enough tricks up his sleeve to make it work? He always has tricks up his sleeve, even though he often goes sleeveless. I mean, this is a guy that's seen it all. And, you know, defensively, I don't know that there has to be a magic cure. Um, They just need to play Patriots defense. And, you know, the tenets of Patriots defense are stop the run, don't allow big plays, tackle well, when, when a guy catches one at 11 yards, make sure you tackle him at 11 yards and that he doesn't end up at 17 or 20. They haven't done any of those things well so far. So it's almost like, and it's weird saying getting back to fundamentals because it's so early in the season, but get back to fundamentals. Get back to Devin McCourty. Make sure you're the deepest man on the field and no one gets behind you because too many times so far, guys have gotten behind him. Um, you know, as I said, it, it's tackle well up front. They had guys... And I know Deshaun Watson's a slippery guy and he's a great athlete, but they missed a lot of tackles and that led to some plays for the Texans. Um, you know, offensively, I think they have a lot of confidence in their weapons. Um, you know, they, they get a guy like Deion Lewis, who's basically been a non-factor so far. And to the point where I think he's a little upset with his role and people are wondering, are they, you know, is this a guy they could trade to get a defensive end? But he's a weapon that hasn't really even been used yet. Um, and, and, you know, they have these options to turn to that when you have Rob Gronkowski and, and Brandon Cooks, everyone else sort of slots in after that. You're talking about two guys that are elite weapons. Now, you're right. If you lose one of those, maybe you start to question things. But I think they believe they're going to run the ball better at some point with Mike Gillisley, who has been, you know, nonproductive at this point. Um, so I think they feel like they have options to turn to. And, and Belichick's whole theory, and, and Brady says this all the time, is, is put yourself in position. And that's what I would get back to. You're two and one. You haven't played well on defense, but you're two and one. You have a uh, Carolina team coming to to Gillette this week that is certainly beatable. They're two and one, but, you know, they're banged up. They get a lot of injuries. They haven't played well offensively so far. Uh, You know, you certainly are the favorite to win that game. If you pile up wins early in the year, and we've all seen this over the years, if you go three and one and then you're four and two or five and two, and getting better each week, then you've put yourself in position to compete for a number one seed, home field advantage in the playoffs. And we know if playoffs go through Gillette, that's a hard place to play, and their record at Gillette. So there will certainly be no panic from, from Belichick and Brady because they've been down this road so many times before. It's just about getting by at this point, and they got by on Sunday. Bill said it. Bill said a couple things go differently. That game turns out differently, but they didn't. You came away with the three-point win. You put that in the bank, and you use it later in the year. Andy, last one for me. We know that Bill Belichick typically sticks to football in public settings, didn't say much about his friendship with Donald Trump during the campaign, beyond validating that relationship. So were you surprised, based on the statement that Belichick released with, I thought, a thoughtful summary of the importance of diversity and what it's meant throughout his coaching career? 
No, I, I, he. this is a very interesting situation, I think, with Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, and Tom Brady and their relationship with, with President Trump. And certainly the, the issue between the NFL and Trump has just blown up over the last week plus because of Trump and the way he handled things at that rally. Um, but Bill Belichick's a guy that over the I mean, he has a great relationship with Jim Brown from his time in Cleveland, and he has a lot of respect for Jim Brown and what he has done. And Bill Belichick has visited prisons with Jim Brown. And, I mean, he has done a lot of things behind the scenes that, you know, no one's aware of, but he is he's a pretty interesting and diverse coach who's seen a lot over the years, even though he doesn't often let us in sort of to that world. Um, so I'm not surprised. And, I mean, the reality is that the NFL is diverse. I mean, these, these locker rooms are diverse. You have guys coming from all corners of the country, you know, different religions, obviously race, different races, but, you know, there's so much that goes on in there. And when you talk about a man who's been around that for 40 years, so, you know, 40 years, 50 guys a year, that's a lot of guys he's crossed paths with and issues he's dealt with and fights and, and relationships and, and just everything. So, you know, I, he understands. I think that the tough part for him is balancing the issues that are important to the society he lives in, important to his players as citizens, in trying to balance that with team first, there's nothing more important than winning football games. Um, because those things, I think, are, are sort of at odds right now. You know, what's more important for Devin McCourty? Is it to be a citizen and to be an active member of society? Or is it more important for him to focus on football and the Carolina Panthers and the task at hand? And I think you saw that last week across the NFL. I think you saw a lot of football players who a lot of emotion and a lot of focus was spent in an area other than their job and, and football and on field. And I think that's understandable, but I think that's a problem these coaches find themselves in is trying to balance um, their players being citizens and, and getting their players to be football players and do the job. So, and I think that's sort of what Belichick's statement was all about, and it'll be interesting to see how the Patriots handle it this week. There's already been a report that every single Patriot is going to stand for the anthem this week, which was not the case last week. They had some guys kneeling, some guys standing arm in arm. Um, it'll be interesting to see if there is um, sort of a unified front on the sidelines at Gillette Stadium this week. Andy, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for the visit. And hopefully you did not have to pay $5 for tap water at Gillette Stadium on Sunday. <laughs> I, I did not. Luckily, they didn't run out in the press box. But uh, what a crazy story that was. No, I mean, uh, it's, it's like one thing after another. And all you want to focus on is football, but all these other things seem to get in the way. Well, there are advantages to hanging out in the press Box. The downside, as you know, media members complaining about their career. Thank you, Andy. We'll chat with you next week. <laughs> All right. See you guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. And we'll be right back with more after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Nick Menzio from rotoworld.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him out to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. 
It takes skill to win your fantasy championship. Separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked off! Intercepted! From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Today, we're pleased to be joined by our friend Nick Mezio from rotoworld.com. Nick, what's the fantasy outlook on Cam Newton? Three interceptions Sunday in the loss to New Orleans. Even though he's matching up against the Patriots' shaky defense, would you hang with Cam or maybe you're dropping him? Nah, I mean, I got to look elsewhere this week. Last week at home against the Saints was just the primo spot, and he, and he let us down, like you said. Three interceptions, one rushing touchdown, saved us a little bit, but... Didn't throw a touchdown, and I think it's pretty safe to drop Cam Newton in 12-team leagues and only start one quarterback. Uh, he just very clearly does not look right as a passer, has been wildly inaccurate, missing touchdowns. And on top of that, isn't running the ball. I mean, he averaged over eight carries a game in his MVP season back in 2015, but it's down to 4.6 this year, and that just lowers his floor even more. Nick, is T.Y. Hilton finally back now that he seems to have it figured out with Jacoby Brissett at the QB position? Yeah, I mean, obviously Brissett gives more, opens things up more in the run game. He can, he's a threat to actually run, run the ball. I think he scored what, one or two rushing touchdowns last weekend. But Scott Solzine didn't do that at all. He didn't offer that. So the other defenders are going to have to watch Brissett in the backfield. So that gives Hilton a little more room to run. And he just dominates at home. He has his whole career, Hilton has. And I think at this point you're obviously just riding it out, waiting until luck gets back. But I think Hilton's definitely in that wide receiver 3-4 mix now, but it's a tough trip to Seattle this weekend for sure. Fantasy Fix provided by Nick Mencio from rotoworld.com. Nick, so much hype surrounding the Oakland Raiders. They did not show up on the road in Washington. So do you have some question marks now about Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree moving forward? I mean, I don't put a whole lot of stock into their one bad game last week, especially with Carr, but, but Cooper has been battling a really bad case of the drops with six of them already. I mean, no other receiver has more than three. And I think he dropped a couple balls in the end zone back in week one. He still scored a touchdown that game, but it's been uh, goose eggs the past couple weeks. But the matchup this week against Denver is really tough. But at the end of the day, I mean, once the season's over, I mean, I, I expect these guys to be near the top of the, their respective positions at, in the fantasy finish line. I know coming off of a bye week, you have a tendency, especially injuries and all those things that come into play. Guys are much fresh. Guys are much fresher. But do you downgrade them or upgrade them uh, when coming off of a bye or not change their value at all? Yeah, I really don't take bye weeks into consideration very much at all. I, I'll downgrade players more for things like cross cross country travel or short weeks coming home after a road Monday night game. Like for example, Dallas this week, I, I, I'll I'll downgrade them a little bit, but. Bye weeks I don't really take into consideration too much, especially this early in the year. How about the London impact? Now, Joe Flacco's been dealing with the back injury, but go back to what he failed to do against Jacksonville. 28 passing yards on Sunday, two interceptions. Is that something that you're going to put into your analysis of players playing for the Saints and Dolphins this Sunday at Wembley Stadium in the U.K.? Yeah, I think that was more of a health thing for Flacco, like you said. He, he's just not right after that back injury. I mean, the Ravens don't have anywhere else to turn. Ryan Mallett was just dreadful in the preseason. They can't go to him. Flacco even at 50% is better than Ryan Mallett. So, I mean, I like the game in London this week. I think games over there tend to be a little more high scoring. Uh, not so much for the Ravens last weekend, we should say, but the Jaguars put a ton of points on the board, and I think these offenses have a chance to really light it up this weekend. The Cincinnati Bengals, Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, it's, it's been really tough so far, but A.J. Green had his first 100-yard game and his first TD of the season. Is he a guy you think 
uh, will really get going or still tough to gauge and considering uh, Andy Dalton's been struggling? No, nah, I love Green going forward. I mean, his bounce back game last week was one of the most pre- predict- predictable big games ever. He called out the old OC, Ken Zampezi, and demanded the ball more. After that loss to the Texans, Zampezi immediately fired and new new play caller Bill Lazor ushered in that game plan that just got the ball out of Dalton's hands quick, got it in the hands of guys like Green and Joe Mixon. I think that's going to be the game plan going forward. I just I love Green all the, uh, the rest of the way. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. Fantasy Fix with Nick Menzio from rotoworld.com. Nick, you probably saw the comments from Chiefs head coach Andy Reid saying he's not concerned about the notion of a rookie wall when it comes to Kareem Hunt. Off to the best start of any first-year running back since Billy Sims made the move from Oklahoma to Detroit. From a fantasy point of view, what do you make of the rookie wall? I mean, Hunt Hunt looks like the real deal. He's averaging over like eight yards a touch or something like that. He's just breaking a bunch of long plays, long touchdowns. And like you said, I mean, I don't see a rookie wall coming up in the fantasy playoffs either. He gets the Jets on the road uh, the first week of the fantasy playoffs and then gets three straight home games for the rest of the fantasy playoffs. So I think Hunt is just a premier fantasy asset right now. Nick, after after another week of significant injuries, uh, who do you think is the top waiver wire pickup at running back and at wide receiver in most leagues? Yeah, I know, I know Darren Sproles went down with that broken arm and torn ACL, but I'm not really buying into any of these Eagles running backs. I still think it's going to be just something that gets sorted out weekly. I don't, I'm not too big on Wendell Smallwood, but one running back I do like is Deontay Foreman for the Texans. He's really starting to eat into Lamar Miller's workload. He's seen double-digit touches the past two weeks, and he's a big talent from Texas. And that receiver, I like Kenny Stills this week in that London game like we were talking about. Revenge game against the Saints. Uh, Jay Culler's going to take a ton of deep shots. That Saints defense just isn't very good. So I like Kenny Stills as a guy to pick up just for this week. Talking fantasy football with Nick Menzio from rotoworld.com. Nick, last one for me. A lot of fantasy owners hang on to hope on Monday Night Football. They get beat up on Sunday. They go, okay, at least I have player X maybe to win my matchup. How are you viewing Chris Carson among all running backs based on what's going on around him? Thomas Rawls banged up, and we just found out from Pete Carroll, looks like no C.J. Procise coming up on Monday when Seattle matches up with Indy. Oh, I mean, this is a glorious spot for Carson, especially with Procise hurt now. Uh, you don't like to see guys get hurt, obviously, but that should just put more, more, more on Carson's plate this week. The Seahawks are two touchdown favorites, so they get a huge lead in the second half. They're just going to be running the rock with Carson, which just more volume. I, he's just a great bet for a touchdown this weekend. An RB1 on the week. I'll be starting him everywhere I have him. Mick, we appreciate the information. Thanks for joining us on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey, you guys have a good one. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. One, two, three. Let's go. Playlists and hit songs picked out for you by your favorite social influencers right here on Herdwell Radio. Hit music. Let's go. From lit jams to sleepy time songs, we'll play the best music that you need to know. Check out our specially curated playlists like the hashtag What's Trending Hour or our Chart Toppers Mix. Keep the party going with our weekend brunch mixes or our nightly hype mix. No matter what time of day, Herdwell Radio's got you covered. You bring the party, we got the music. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to give you our week four power rankings, the five teams we are more than sure are better than the rest. 
It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. I'll go first. Major shakeup this week at number five, the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I said it. You might wonder why. Well, we've been giving credit to Kirk Cousins for winning NFC Offensive Player of the Week honors, defeating the Raiders. Philadelphia went to our nation's capital week one and beat the Redskins. They went to Kansas City, lost by a touchdown, put together a thrilling victory over the New York football giants, and it pays to look at the schedule. Philadelphia is in Southern California on Sunday. They're going to beat the Chargers. Yes, they have to overcome the loss of Darren Sproles, but I believe in Philadelphia. This is forecasting what's coming up. The Eagles number five in my power rankings. And number four, mostly to tweak Cordell, the Green Bay Packers. What happened between you and Aaron Rodgers? I'm a journalist. I'm going to find out. Another magical comeback. Sure, he made it interesting with just the second pick six of his brilliant career. But when it mattered the most, without both starting offensive tackles, it was Rodgers to the rescue. Green Bay, number four in my power rankings. Number three, I'm not buying him fully. Should have lost on the road in Chicago. Got a lot of help from the officials on the road in Detroit. But they're undefeated. And they made it to the Super Bowl a year ago. The Atlanta Falcons, begrudgingly, number three in my power rankings. But I'll be prepared to bury them quickly when we see them play a little bit more wobbly in the weeks to come. Number two, call me illogical. Call me insane in the membrane, but you got to watch football games. The Patriots are the second best team in all of football. Yes, the defense has been a disaster. Bill Belichick will figure it out. Plenty of time to rectify things. Plus, think about that division. The Jets beat the Dolphins. Nobody's going to touch New England. I don't care if they're 11-5, 12-4. I might have mentioned they were going undefeated. That was a long time ago on this show. Get into the postseason. Get into the tournament. As coaches say, the Patriots will be just fine. Number one, the team that went to Gillette Stadium and embarrassed the reigning world champs, Kansas City Chiefs. I've been so impressed by their tenacity moving forward without the heart and soul of that defense. No Eric Berry. Counting them down. Philly, Green Bay, Atlanta, New England, Kansas City, back to you. Yeah, I tell you what, that Green Bay team barely beat us. Very uh, struggling Cincinnati team, but got to win, and that's all that matters. And, of course, when you think about the Philadelphia Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles all about the strength of wins in my book and moving forward with what they have, and that's not Darren Sproles. So they won't be the number five team in my top five. The top, the number five team in my top five would be the Tennessee Titans. This is a football team that actually lost to a good Oakland Raiders team but beat a strong Jacksonville team that's finding their way in a Seattle season. Hawks team that you know when it comes to the Legion of Boom that you have to be prepared to run the football and that's exactly what they did. A little bit of Derrick Henry and a great dose of DeMarco Murray who gave the 75 yard touchdown to let it be known what it was and the defense played solid. Marcus Mariota did his job. So I'm going with the number five team is the Tennessee Titans. The number four team. Even though they lost but in my mind and heart they did win the game I'm going with the Detroit Lions. I love the way this football team is playing with with the richest man leading a helm in Matthew Stafford, we're getting 
$27 million bucks per year based on a new deal that he's gotten. I think by committee on the offensive line, they believe in him. In the defense, they're actually coming off the edge. They're making stops down the football field. This team has a can't-stop, won't-stop mentality. Being able to play well from behind and actually playing for truly 60 minutes of football, I will put them as the number four team because arguably right now, they are playing some of overall, some of the best football in the game, but did lose to the Atlanta Falcons. So I do get that, but they fall at the number four spot in my book. The number three spot, I'm going with the New England Patriots. I think that loss in the very first week uh, really caused me to wonder, you know, how this team will actually fare as you move forward. I know they, they've gotten a great win against the New Orleans Saints, and we know what they did this past week. But this defense, to me, is struggling to put them any higher than that right now. But because of Tom Terrific and Bill Belichick, you have to keep them in the top three unless they would have lost another. So out of, out of respect and knowing what this team is going to do moving forward, I am going with the New England Patriots in number two. Hey, man, it is what it is. I need to see more. But the way they're playing right now, they're playing some really good football and they're playing fast. It's the Atlanta Falcons. I know they got away with a great one uh, with the call by the referees. But, hey, you can't hate the play. You have to hate the game. They got the W. You have to give them respect. I think right now that offense is playing strong. Receiving core is playing great. Defense without Vic Beasley is doing a good job playing strong. I like where they are. They're trending in the right direction. Undefeated as of right now. So you have to rock and roll with the Atlanta Falcons. And last but not least, the Kansas City Chiefs. Come on. And the home of the Chiefs. They're the number one team right now in the National Football League when it comes to what they could do on a defense without Eric Berry having Eric Murray filling in for him. And Justin Houston is just doing a phenomenal job, regardless of how he does it. But most importantly, he does it when it matters most in the latter part of the game and offensively. The kid, Kareem Hunt, have you watched him run the football between the tackles? Travis Kelsey, he is continuously being as good as he's always been for his quarterback and Alex Smith. And that guy, Alex Smith, number 11, he's playing out of sight, out of mind right now. So the football that this team is playing collectively overall is some of the best football, if not the best football from top to bottom in the National Football League. So five, the Titans, the Lions, the Patriots, the Falcons, and the home of yours truly, not Cordell Stewart, the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs and Alex Smith and his head coach, Andy Reid. Back to you. Nicely done. My only observation would be Detroit beat Arizona and the New York football giants. You give them credit for those wins? Sure. You can give them that. I mean, but it's not so much the wins they get. It's how they're doing it. There's no, there's no discrepancy in what they're doing and how they're doing it. There's no question whatsoever. No one has one-time question. Most guys get big deals, especially quarterbacks, get big deals. And how they come back in that next year, kind of start off a little lethargic, a little slow. This kid is coming out guns blazing. He's getting it done in Matthew Stafford. He doesn't need Megatron and Calvin Johnson. He has it by committee. So what more do you ask for when it comes to the Lions? They're playing good football. And, and trust me, that was a playoff atmosphere they had there in Detroit playing against the Atlanta Falcons. So they're going to remember that game. I'm more than sure they will. And hopefully they can learn from it to know that you can't always, you cannot always depend on playing from behind, but take care of your business early on. But yes, 
I like the Lions. I like what they're doing because no one's giving them a chance to really do much of anything other than talk about the big contract that they gave to their quarterback, Matthew Stafford. Back to you. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.